Okay, let us jump in. If you are new this week, if this is your first week to this study, we are starting, and in the, we're not in the middle yet, we're in week two of a, a six-week series called Refuge. And refuge, as we talked about last week, you may remember we defined it a little bit. We had you talk to one another and define in your own mind what does refuge mean to you. Now what it technically means are two main things. One is it's a safe place. A refuge is a safe place. And the second thing is a refuge is also known to be a protective covering. A protective covering. Now, some of the things we talked about last week, I shared with you in my mind, the way I want to define refuge would be this. I am in a cozy environment on a couch with pajamas on, preferably, a cozy blanket, chips and queso, and I'm binging a new Netflix series. That's a refuge to me. Everybody's doing great. All my loved ones are happy. I don't have to be anywhere. I'm not on the clock anywhere, and I can just take my time. That's a refuge. But what we also learned last week is that God, when he says, I am your refuge, what he means is, I know what you need as a refuge, and I, the Lord, get to define refuge for you. And that's not always what I want. I want him to provide the refuge. I just want to script it for him. I just want to say, well, provide it, but provide it like this. And the Lord says, no, I'll provide the refuge. Your job or your, what you get to do is trust me. So this week we're jumping in to all, we're going to look the next five weeks to all of the different ways, some of the different ways, I shouldn't say all, of the ways the Lord provides refuge in our life that is surprising. It's not how we would have defined it, and yet it's everything that we need. And it's better than we could have defined it ourselves. And so that's what we're looking at today. Our anchor verse for the semester is Psalm 73, 28. The psalmist says, but for me it's good to be near God. And he says, I have made the Lord my refuge. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I've made the Lord my refuge. How do we do that? We're going to look at that today. How do we make the Lord our refuge? So what I want to do for just a minute, we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 3. But I want to share with you a really silly story from my high school days. And I don't know if you, like me, have ever found yourself verbally professing something and being fully committed to it and knowing in your mind and in the moment you're authentically saying yes I believe this or I'm committed to this this is true in high school I was highly committed to a boy that was a couple years older than me and I will leave his name out we'll call him Bill today Bill and I had been dating he was off at college and I'm telling you I was committed to Bill we were probably going to get married. I just knew that we would. But he could rest assured that while he was away at college, I was committed. I was committed. He need not worry. He was everything that I would, was looking for. He was everything I needed. And we were tight. I was committed. But then, we'll call him Greg. Greg invited me to homecoming. And all of a sudden, this fierce commitment that I had been professing was kind of like a commitment-ish. And I remember then going, oh my goodness, Greg asked me to homecoming. Okay, that puts me in a bit of a pickle. But let me think about this for a minute. Well, it just, 
it, it makes sense. It's not like, well, we are exclusive, but it's not like I'm, I'm going to become committed to Greg. It's just one night. It's just a date. It's just a date. And it would be silly for Bill to come all the way back from college. This just makes sense. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what I had been professing was not as, it wasn't as strong a conviction anymore because my circumstances had changed. And I remember the weekend of homecoming, and I'd said to Bill, you know what, I think homecoming's overrated. I was a cheerleader, and so I'm gonna be on the field anyway. It's not gonna, you're not gonna wanna go to that dance anyway. Don't even bother coming home. I'm revealing, I'm revealing the ugly here, girls. <laughs> so, here's what happens. Homecoming weekend, Greg and I are driving along, and we pull up to a stop sign, and yeah, you know where it's going. So we're at a stop sign, and facing us at the opposing stop sign is a familiar red Mustang. And I was like, oh, goodness. It appears that Bill has come home for the weekend, and I did not know it. And I'm telling you what, that passing one another like this, that felt like a slow death. It was like, here's me in the passenger seat of Greg's car, having professed that I'm fully committed to Bill. Here we are slowly driving, and here comes Bill slowly passing. And um, it didn't go well, I'll just say that. I'm not married to either one of them. They're wonderful boys. Um, I just really thought that I was committed, and in the reality, I just wasn't. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Have you ever said, let's just move it to the spiritual realm. Have you ever said, I am a believer, I am a Christian no matter what, and this is what it means to be a Christian, and Lord, I profess you to the day I die, and then all of a sudden you're like, ugh, that means this? That means I have to let go of this? That means I shouldn't do that? That means I have to, ugh. Okay, well, I believe I'm going to go to church. I'm not denying you. It's just like, it sounds a little ridiculous. Like, you want all of me? Have you ever been there? I certainly have. I certainly have. And when God says to you and to me, I am your refuge, I am your refuge, he doesn't mean come under the shadow of my wing and leave one foot out just in case a better offer comes along. He's saying, no, 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 come under the shadow of my wing and let me care for all of you. He wants all of our heart. All of it. And sometimes I get wobbly in my faith, and if I really drill down, it always goes back to this root. I'm not sure if he's good anymore. When I doubt his character, he moves from a giving, loving, abundant God to a killjoy, ogre, that's a bunch of rules. And I lose sight of the true God. And I know that I'm losing sight of him because my commitment becomes a commitment-ish. And I think, oh, it doesn't mean that I don't, all, don't make mistakes. But I know when my heart begins to get stale and I become more guarded, and I think, I'm just going to dabble over here. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. So, what I want to look at today are three men in Scripture that you might be familiar with. But when, they were, when their faith was on the line, 
they cashed in every chip and they believed that God is who he says he is and they experienced refuge in a way that is, well, you can't compare it to anything else. So let's look. We are in Daniel chapter 3. And we find ourselves in Babylon. Now, when the Israelites followed God and he removed them from Egypt, from slavery, and he put them into the promised land, they just went haywire. They forgot him. They, and God scattered them. And some of them ended up in a foreign territory called Babylon. And in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar ruled. He was in charge of it all. And that's where we pick up the story because he was not a nice man. And you find three Israelite Jewish men that are living in Babylon under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're in Daniel chapter 3. We start in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial office officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald shouted out, people of all races and all nations and all languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Such a kind-hearted man. Okay, here's where it starts to get good. Verse 12, we see... It says, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you, this is a, a tattletale, comes to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Whoa, king, there are Jews, three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they're paying no attention to you, your majesty, and they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you've set up. Now, here's what's happening. Out of nowhere, this king erects this big, huge statue, and he says everybody's going to bow down to it. And we can look at that and go, that's absurd. That's absurd. And it's not too difficult in this moment for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Here's my point. In my life, and probably your life too, obedience and the profession of our faith is not very difficult when the price is not very high. When there's not a ton at stake, it's so easy for me to say, I love him. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't care who knows. I'll follow you till the day I die, Lord. It's not that costly. If you're on Facebook or social media, you've seen those praying emoji hands. And when somebody posts a prayer request, we all reply with that. We all say, we're praying for you, and it's great. Because that doesn't really cost us much. But what if that person said, hey, would you come to my house and pray out loud? I'm going to bring some people together that you've never met. And then we're going to have some also some other people, and you're, all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> or what if as you profess to follow Jesus, Jesus asks you, to take that annoying neighbor to lunch. The one that's on the opposite side of the political fence. 
The one that's got all the signs in his or her yard that you can't stand. And the Lord is saying, reach out to that one. And I want you to just come in peace. No. That is too costly. That is too costly. These are minimal costs. But my point being is it's so easy for us to make commitments and make professions of faith when, of faith when the price isn't very high. But when the price tag gets higher, it becomes more difficult to follow in obedience. And so when it becomes more difficult to follow him in obedience, that's when my foot is out here. And it's like, I want you as a refuge. I want your wing over me. I want the protective covering that I know I can't provide myself. Oh, this is really hard. I want my friends to like me too, though. I want to be well-respected in my town. I want to decide how I spend my money. I want to choose. And so it becomes difficult. And we want our cake and we want to eat it too. And the Lord is saying, no, I'm, I died for you. I want all of you. All of you. I want to provide refuge for all of you. And if you've got one foot out, you're not fully covered. You're not fully covered. So let's continue on in verse 13. The stakes get a little bit higher. It says then, so Nebuchadnezzar's just learned that these three men have refused to bow down to his gold statue. Verse 13 says, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And they were brought in, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up? Here's what he says. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, Bow down. He says, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? The heat's turned up. The heat is turned up. And here's another thing. Everyone else in Babylon is standing there ready to bow down. So if it's not fear that causes them to renege on their commitment to, Jesus, to the Lord, to Jesus, it certainly might be peer pressure. Can anyone relate to that? It is so much easier to swim in the wide stream, to walk the wide road that we're all walking on together. I'll tell you how effective peer pressure is. I remember a few years back when skinny jeans came back into fashion, or maybe for the first time, and the thing called jeggings that I happen to be wearing right now, I remember going, that's ridiculous. I will never wear those. And I'm like, how fast can I buy one? How fast can I buy one? Wide leg jeans are coming back. Better believe I've got some coming in the mail. That's a silly example, but peer pressure is effective. They say is a powerful thing. Whomever they is. They, they be powerful. <laughs> and so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there, and the king is saying, I'm going to give you one more chance. And if you don't bow to this statue, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And don't you know, people behind them are like, just do it. This is not worth losing your life over. Just do it. Just do it. Here's some things I was thinking about that they might have said. 
They may have said, you know what, there's nothing to gain by this resistance. Let's just go, we're more effective here on earth living. We probably have kids. It's not a big deal. Another thing is, um, I mean, after all, we're not being called to renounce God. We're just being called to bow a knee to this thing. So we can still believe in God, but we can just make him happy. Anybody? They could have said everybody else is doing it. They also could have said it's only for one time and not very long, maybe 10 minutes. So what's the deal? Let's just draw on the Lord's grace. Let's just ask for forgiveness instead of permission. There's a whole lot of things that would have been really rational in their minds at that moment had they not known personally the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen to me. I say this um, as your sister. Religion will not sustain your faith. Religion, a belief system that you have grown up with or that you may understand somewhat about, will not sustain your faith or my faith when we are standing at the threshold of a fiery furnace. It is only relationship with the living God that gives me the power and the courage to say yes when yes is costly. They could have easily turned their backs. They could have easily bowed the knee and saved their very lives. And this is the thing. Scripture says, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to lose it. I can't do that if I'm not certain that I'm losing it to a God that is better than I could ever imagine, to a God that loves me more passionately than I or anyone else loves me. Let's continue on in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Turn it up. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. To throw them into the blazing furnace. Okay, I skipped a couple verses. Go back to verse 17. This is what they say before they, they're bound up and the threat of the furnace is right to them. He gives them one more chance to renege and they say this in verse 17. He, they say, your majesty, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he does not, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Who says that? <laughs> Who says that? Okay. Here is where the wide road that we all as professed Christians in the Western world, here's where it gets really, really narrow and few continue the journey. It's at the, the threshold of the fiery furnace because here is where most of us get tripped up and we get tripped up so much that our faith derails and the trip 
comes from standing on the threshold of the fiery furnace and we think, no, wait just a second. The God that I'm professing is actually going to allow me to go into it. Whoa! That is not what I signed up for. When I gave you my life, Lord, my truckload of expectations that I brought to the table, they're coming to the surface right now. And they're loud and clear. And here's what they are. You protect me. What does protect me mean? I don't ever get harmed. You deliver me from the furnace. You don't make me go into the furnace. You are, I'm just blessed to be a blessing. That's what it means, right? Isn't that what it means? My life is up and to the right. And when I'm standing on the threshold of the fiery furnace and I'm realizing for the first time, oh, no, 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 I don't get to turn back. He's asking me to say yes to this, and this might be the death of me. In that moment, it is always a crisis of faith. I don't care how long we have walked with the Lord. Some of us go through it, and some of us turn back. Because it's so, and I say this with all humility and grace and love, it rattles our cage when we profess a God that is good and try and reconcile that same God that is good with a God whose ways we cannot control or understand. I don't understand how a good God could allow this. Fill in the blank. I don't understand. Surely a good God would not ask, say, wait, a good God gets me all the way up to the threshold of the furnace, wants me to profess I love him no matter what, and then in the 11th hour he rescues me out of it and I don't have to go through it. That's what a good God does. And I'm telling you, if you're like me, it rattles my cage when I recognize, oh, you do let children die. Children don't make it. They're, okay, wait, she's not going to be healed from cancer. This will be the cause of her premature death. Oh, oh, wait a second, my marriage doesn't seem to be getting better. My child isn't thriving. You're going to ask me to give this up? You're asking me to move to a place I've never heard of? I don't know what the fiery furnace is for you and what it is for me. But all of us, at some point in our lives, find ourselves at the threshold of it. And in that moment, it is a come to Jesus meeting. And I have to dig deep and go, am I committed? Am I going to say yes, no matter the cost? You see, I surrendered my life to the Lord when I was 27. I became a Christian and invited him into my heart when I was eight at church camp. But at 27, I'd been working in the corporate world and was doing very well, and I'd sensed him call me to ministry, and I knew it was going to be costly. And when I laid my life down, I knew it's laid down. It is laid down. I ain't picking it back up again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the one who loves me, he lives through me. And I realized in that moment, that passage is Galatians 2.20, I thought, I'm dead. And dead for Laura means you get to decide, God. 
You get to tell me where I live. You get to tell me who I marry. You get to tell me what my career is. You get to decide. My children are yours. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I want to get up so bad. Because it's not one fiery furnace that we come to and we're done in our lives. It's over and over and over. Some of us in this room are battling chronic illness. And we stand there. And let me be super, super clear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three men. They're three men. And so to think that they stood here and were all of a sudden like, this isn't hot at all. This isn't hot at all. This is okay. I'm not scared. I'm not scared at all. No, 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 no. They're human beings. They are quaking. And yet there's something that they know to be true, even when they're not feeling it in the moment, that enables them to say, you know what, even if he doesn't save us, even if this is our death, we're going. We're going. We're saying yes. We're saying yes. So I wonder if any of us today are standing at the threshold of a fiery furnace. It could be a health ailment. It could be an obedience issue. It could be a sin issue that the Lord's asking you to let go of. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, you'll know you're at the fiery furnace because you think, this might kill me. <laughs> this might kill me. Surely you're not asking me to go to that place. But you're a good God. And he says, I define goodness. You're a good God, and yet your character never changes. You're always loving. You're always for me. And yet I don't understand for the life of me why this is my road right now. That is so honest and real, and in no way does the Lord reject that. I've stood at the threshold of fiery furnaces throughout my life, in and out of different seasons, and every single time, it's somewhat of a crisis of faith, and I'm rattled, and I think, wait, just, what? wait a second. But as I continue to track time with the Lord, I can look back and go, he was there, he was there, he was there, he was there. And his word says, he will never leave me or forsake me. He is good. He is for me. He has forgiven me. He loves me. He's not a punitive God. Okay, I hate this. Jesus understands that. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he faced the most brutal death anyone can endure, he said, let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And here's what happens when we say yes no matter the cost. Look with me at verse 21. They have been bound up, tied up, and they have been thrown in the furnace. They should be consumed within milliseconds and dead. And verse 21 says, So they tied him up, they threw him into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Wait, 
Didn't we just tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, verse 25, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a God. Another translation says, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. Let me just let us, let us take that in for just a minute. They have said yes, believing that they're about to die not willing to turn back and denounce their God. They are in the furnace, and refuge comes. And here's what it looks like. A fourth being in the furnace who has unbound them with the fire, and yet they are not scorched. Here's the thing. Religion will not save us. But a relationship with Jesus Christ does. And when you begin to taste and see that he is good, there's nothing that can get you to turn back. And when I taste, it's when I taste and see that he's good. It's these moments and seasons when I've said yes and I've gone into this situation, this season of life, this whatever it is, and I think, well, this is going to be awful. I can't even imagine that you would allow me to walk through this. No, you should have protected me from this. He should have changed. We should still be together. I should be well by now. No, but nevertheless, as rattled and ragamuffin as I am, I'm saying yes to you. The disciples said, you know what? Where else are we going to go? I had nowhere else to go. I've tried it all. But it's when you say yes and you're in the middle of the furnace that you look around and go, I'm not alone here. I'm not alone. And all of a sudden, this God that you have professed to believe that feels cloudy because everything is so hard, everything becomes clear, circumstances don't change, but he is there and you see him clearly. There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing sweeter. And there's no amount of teaching that I can do to make you experience or enable you to experience it. It has to be you saying, yes, Lord, yes, I'll go with you there. I'm mad. I don't understand it. You can be as raw and real as you need to be. But for the love, don't stand at the furnace and turn back. And if you have turned back, at any moment you can turn right back around at any moment because the cross paid for that for us. But wherever you find yourself, get back on the narrow road because that's where he is. That's where he is and he is the way, the truth and the life. And the life and refuge is not at the threshold of the furnace. And I want it to be so desperately. I want to stand at the threshold and go, well, let's analyze this and let's Let's look at it, and I'm going to profess you with my mouth, and I'm going to maintain my belief system, but I'm certainly not going to be vulnerable enough to step in. So I would like for you to give me some warm fuzzies on this side of it and just say, it's okay, baby, just turn back, turn back. Sometimes I get ahead of myself and recognize that this is too much to ask. So just turn back. Get back in there at that happy hour. Crack open that second bottle. Get back in there to Target. That sale just started. Do whatever. Eat another bag of chips. Do it. 
Call that guy that you know you should do whatever it is. You deserve it. This is too hard. It is too hard. It is. I can't do it. It's almost like I need a savior. It's almost like I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to say yes, and he will do it every time. But it's in the furnace that I see and taste him. It's in there. Nobody else had that experience. Every one of those other officials that bowed their knee, their, their Monday morning was blocked. Life was stale. These three, they're in the furnace and they're looking around going, I don't know, are you hot? I'm hot, but are you scorching? I'm not scorching. Somehow I'm not burning up. I feel like I'm still okay. I'm looking around. And Nebuchadnezzar, the hardest heart on the planet, gets to experience with his own eyes a God that is more powerful than himself. Why? Because these three did not relent. These three said, I'm going for the love. I want my children to know I may never cook a good meal, but I will always say yes to him. I will always say yes. And when I don't, I will turn around quickly and get back in step with the Lord. It's the greatest legacy that we can leave. The greatest legacy that we can leave. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar, never, he came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now watch this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. The furnace does not last forever. But there are seasons that are hot. They are hot. They are hot. They stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell of smoke. They stepped out of the fire, and there was a ripple effect through all of Babylon. And everybody that had never heard the name God, I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, they'd heard his name now. Sometimes the fire, the furnace for me, is for somebody else. I can't figure out for the life of me why God would have me go through this. And yet on the other side, I can, I've used things in my life so many times. We, I was at a meeting not long ago, and there was a lot of, probably six eight ladies sitting around. One of the women was having a hard, really painful time with her teenage daughter. And another woman sat there and said, I have been in that fire, and began to share no, 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 when I say I've been in the fire, let me give you a few details of what the fire has been like. And yet there was a fourth angel with me the entire time and I'm on the other side and I'm looking at you in the eye and you don't know that you're gonna come on the other side, but you will, but you will. And in that moment, I know that gave that sweet woman breath, breath in her lungs. It's not about me. And yet I get the beauty and the, the privilege of experiential faith, a faith that takes on legs and arms and skin and his name is Jesus and I get to experience him in the fire. Do I want to go in the fire? No, 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 no. I still wish that the best experience would just be a handhold walking along, a little worship music and everything just turns out great. 
That's called heaven, and that's coming. That is coming. That is coming. There will be no more tears. There will be no more unruly teenagers. There will be no more whatever it is. But for now, it's hot. It's hot. And here's the thing. Furnaces happen whether I'm following him or not. But Scripture says the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. And when that, when that Scripture does not mean those that um, are terrified in an unhealthy sense. It means those that stand in awe and they recognize you are God and I am not. You are holy and I am not. You could flat me like that and yet you say, come closer. I'm going to send my son to die the cruelest death. And for three days, everyone thought all is lost. It was so dark. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the disciples, and Mary Magdalene, they had the, oh, he's here. He is who he says he is. He is worthy of my trust. He hasn't left me. There you are, y'all. There's nothing better than an experience like that with, with the Lord. And it happens in the furnace. And so I have slept a lot better in my life when I have come to that surrendered place that your character is always good. I can take that to the bank. And yet your ways are higher than mine and I don't understand them and sometimes they're not what I would choose. Sometimes they seem um, cruel almost. And so when his ways are confusing and scary sometimes and we don't get it, I rest on his heart. I rest on his heart. And then eventually, while I still don't understand a lot of the furnaces, I start to see his hand. And his hand looks like a wing. And it wraps me up. And his presence is there. And I take a deep breath. And I go about my day. And I go, he's good. He's good. There's a joy. I can have joy in the middle of grief. He's good. His refuge is defined by himself because the refuge is himself. There's just a lot of places that he is that I would prefer not to visit. I don't want to go there with you. I would rather stay here. Stay on the shore. It's so comfortable and safe and controllable on the shore. And he's like, but you've never walked on water. Let me show you what it's like to walk out in this wave. Let me show you what it's like to be in a storm-tossed sea and yet have the peace that passes understanding. Let me show you what it's like to be at MD Anderson and about to go through therapy, uh, radiation and all that and have peace that passes understanding. Let me show you that. Let me show you what it's like to take another breath. Let me show you what it's like to know the sun is going to come up again. He loves you and he loves me and he wants to be your refuge today and he wants to be my refuge today. The problem is, is I don't get to stay in the safe place that I define safe. This place that I think is safe is a soul's death. It's stale, predictable, flat, and eventually I lose interest in Yahweh. 
But if I keep in step with him, I go to scary places, places I wouldn't have choose, but I always come out on the other end. And here's what I want to say again with the greatest humility. Those of us that die early deaths physically see him faster. Death has lost its sting. Death has lost its sting. And I don't say that, um, I say that with the greatest humility. That if a good God is defined by the amount of years I get to live, we will be destitute. I have so many friends in my life. I was at a prayer meeting on Monday night with a beautiful girl, 31, dying of stage four lung cancer with a beautiful little girl and a husband. And I watched the peace that passed all understanding. And we are asking the Lord to heal her, believing for healing for her. And yet her beautiful husband said, no matter what, even if he doesn't, we know that he's good. We know that he's good. And I don't know that from rote religious practices. I know that from practicing a religion that has moved me into a relationship, if that makes sense. Go to church, do Bible study, do things that you find to be religious, but if that's all that we're doing, if it doesn't connect you to the heart of God, you're missing it. I'm missing it. He loves you. He's your refuge. My prayer for us as we enter into this next week, what is your fiery furnace? What is it? And what is God asking you, or asking of you, I should say? Would you be a woman, and would I be a woman that is courageous enough, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to say, this thing may not end good, but I'm going with you. I'm going with you. I will not turn back. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. And I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts and only allow that to stick that you want to stick. If there's anything I've said, Lord, that we need to just forget about, just allow us to do that. But anything that is of eternal value from your word of God, it's all of eternal value, Lord. Just penetrate it in our mind and our heart and get it down deep in a way that cannot be uprooted when the fiery furnace is in front of us. You are our great refuge. And I pray for an experiential understanding of that for each one of us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, girls. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Come back next week. Maybe it'll be a little lighter.